Episode 54, Should You Trust Your Teen? This is the Expat Mom Podcast, a podcast for expat moms around the world who want to feel better and improve their emotional health as they navigate the unique challenges of living and mothering abroad. I'm your host, Jenny Linton. I'm a certified life coach, a mom to four daughters, and married to a U.S. diplomat. I've lived in six countries on four continents. I know what it's like to feel stuck emotionally, and I know how to get unstuck. I'm excited to share with you some tools to help you feel less discouraged, improve your relationships, and increase your confidence. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope things are going well for you and your family, especially during this back to school season. My kids just started school today and my little five-year-old told me before she went, mom, what if they don't like me because I lived in China? It just about broke my heart that she is worried about that. On the flip side, I was so thankful that my kids' teachers were so welcoming and inclusive of my kids' experiences abroad. They invited some of my fourth grader and my sixth grader to share some of their travels and experiences and things they've learned in some of the different units that they're going to do in school this year. So here we go for the 2021-2022 school year. Today on the podcast, we're addressing the question, should I trust my teen? It's a question that I get asked a lot in coaching, and it's one that most of us with teens think about from time to time, if not frequently. It's a question that is often brought up by our teens themselves. One of my clients has a teen who asked her, mom, why can't I go to the bar with my friends? I don't drink. Don't you trust me? Something about this question causes us as parents to question, should I trust my teen? These kind of situations are really tough calls. We want to trust our teens. We want them to feel that we trust them, but often the situations that they may want to be in can feel difficult. We can find ourselves wondering if we should trust our teens. This is an important topic, and like most good answers, the best answer is never simple. Today on the podcast, I'm going to break down the science on the teen brain and answer the question, should you trust your teen? Let me quickly share about a free resource that I offer to moms. Each week, I share a short tool or tip about mothering and emotional health that can be read in about a minute. I call it One Minute Wisdom. Let me share something that one listener shared about One Minute Wisdom. Their teen daughter had struggled with a move back to her home country, especially feeling like she fit in. One of the one minute wisdom emails, as well as a couple of the podcasts focused on ideas to help kids deal with readjustment. One of the strategies was to focus on just one thing you have in common with someone else, rather than feeling like you have to have multiple things in common. The simple strategy has been helpful in giving their teen confidence to try to connect with others. You can sign up for this free resource through the link in the show notes or on my website at theexpatmom.com. Okay, so let's jump into our topic about trusting your teen. Should you trust your teen? There are some people who will say, absolutely not. Teens just aren't able to make wise decisions. Others will say, yes, let them do what they want. They will figure things out through trial and error. I would like to suggest a different and perhaps more complicated, but hopefully more useful approach I suggest that the answer to this question, should you trust your teen, is both yes and no. First, I'm going to address why we shouldn't trust our teens, even the most responsible teens. What I mean when I say we shouldn't trust our teens is that they experience developmental brain changes that make it difficult to make wise decisions during adolescence. 
As parents, this knowledge can arm us with information about what might be more than our teens can handle. Even the best of our teens can become overwhelmed and make more choices. Secondly, I'm going to address why we should trust our teens and what I mean by trust in this sense. I'm going to address how trusting our teens potential is essential and how this trust helps shift our responses to our kids, poor choices and how it helps foster better choices by our teens. Finally, I'm going to share a practical construct for determining how and when to trust your teens as they grow and evolve. Let me start by explaining a bit about the teenage brain that may help explain why teens need parents to be hesitant to trust them sometimes. During adolescence, teens' brains go through some important changes. One of those changes has to do with the dopamine system. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that gives us pleasure and drives us to want to do things that bring us more pleasure. The teen brain is unique from adults or children in that they have an increase in the activity of the neural circuits that utilize dopamine. Dr. Siegel, a noted neuropsychologist, explains that this increase in dopamine means that teens get more of a dopamine hit when they experience stimulating or novel behaviors than an adult would get from those same type of behaviors. This might include anything from being accepted by a peer group, to getting a good grade, to making a sports team, as well as to behaviors such as drinking, having sex, trying drugs, doing illegal activities. In other words, one reason teens are more likely to do pleasure-seeking activities is because it feels amazing, even better than it does for a child or an adult. The dopamine drive is a problem by itself, but to make matters worse, There are other reasons why the teen brain is less reliable when it comes to making responsible choices. The connections between the prefrontal cortex and the lower brain are much slower in teens than they are for adults. Some studies suggest that the lower brain might be up to 500 times faster than the higher brain in a teen. This means a teen literally has less ability to weigh potential risks of their choices in the moment. The reward center says yes. And then teens act before their prefrontal cortex even has the chance to come in and tell your lower brain no. It's a bit like your teen has a high power accelerator on a car and then faulty brakes to slow themselves if they need them. A car with this type of setup is definitely headed for an accident. And our teens may also meet with disaster if we let them loose, assuming that they have the same type of accelerator and brake system that we do as adults, or even that they might've had as children. Instead, if we had a car like this, we would make sure to go easy on the accelerator. We might even have new brakes put in. Likewise, it's not that we wouldn't let our kids drive at all, but we'd want to make sure to set them up for safety and success by not putting them in situations that they're likely to crash in. There are simply some situations that may be so tempting given the teen brain that we as parents may need to step in and be an automatic braking system for them, especially when the stakes or the consequences are high. For example, a teen with a phone in their bedroom at night is going to have some intense pulls toward dopamine hits, with endless streaming of movies and shows and friends to text and YouTube videos to watch, social media to scroll through, all of which offer immediate dopamine hits, are going to make it tough for kids to resist the urge to stay up late on their phones. In addition, a lot of kids have fear of missing out. They stay up texting friends till late in the night because they don't want to miss out. If they feel like other kids are online, they don't want to be out of the loop. They want that dopamine hit of being accepted. Late nights on the phone can often cause them to be tired the next day at school. Not to mention, kids often make poor decisions when they're tired and vulnerable and more affected by emotions from the day. Many girls report feeling pressured into sexting late at night. 
But then later, the next day, they regret their decision to send those pictures. Sometimes boys report looking at porn at night when they're tired or bored, and then they later regret it. This is an example of the high dopamine drive and the slow highway between the prefrontal cortex and the lower brain. You can see how the teen's brain has a much harder time regulating their behavior. Even the most responsible teen has the disadvantage of wiring in their brain that makes it harder to make wise choices. As parents, we can do our teens a huge disservice when we trust them completely. Their brains are kind of like a faulty car. When we understand this knowledge, we can use it not as a weapon against our kids, but instead as a tool to help us help them. We can set up a backup braking system for our kids by providing limits where we know the temptations for a teen brain are likely to be overwhelmed. For example, a backup braking system for the scenario with the phone might look something like having kids plug their phones into their parents' room to charge after 8 or 9 p.m. at night. While teens are likely to be disappointed that they're going to miss out on the fun at night, that disappointment pales in comparison to the bigger disappointment or humiliation teens experience from their own poor choices without these types of boundaries. A lot of kids recognize that they need limits and that they aren't good at making wise choices about things. Most kids when asked actually want limits and they say that they feel loved when their parents put limits in place. In fact, They sometimes feel more like they can relax when they have limits in place. A good friend of mine teaches at an international school. She shared that when they were having problems with kids and screens and limits at school, they talked to the kids and asked the kids what kind of solution they felt might be most productive. The kids said they actually wanted limits. They wanted the school to determine when they should and shouldn't use their screens. I thought that was fascinating. The teens actually recognized that that the temptation was strong and that their brain wiring was weak. They felt better when there were some breaks applied for them. When parents understand the vulnerabilities of the teen brain, it can make it easier to set expectations and limits. And ironically, when those buffers are set, we find that we can trust our teens more and teens find that they can trust themselves too. Now, this idea of a backup breaking system can absolutely be taken too far. We can begin to think as parents, we need to regulate everything about a teen's life. And that's just as unhealthy. Teens need some space and freedom to explore and make choices. And gradually, we want to help guide them to become the people we do trust. I'll explain at the end of the podcast, a possible structure that can be used to help teens wean off the backup breaking system of parental limits and create their own breaking system as they develop and mature. While we can't trust our teen's brain to operate in a helpful way in some situations, we can't trust our teens in other ways. In fact, it's essential to unquestionably trust our teens in other ways. Let me define what I mean by trust in this sense. Here, I'm referring to trust as a vision or sense of our children's potential. In other words, we want to trust that our teens will become someone wonderful, even despite and sometimes even because of their mistakes. We as parents want to be their biggest advocate. We want our teens to know that we believe in them. Sometimes it's going to be really hard when they're making decisions that we don't like, or we don't agree with. It can be easy to project into the future that because they aren't very careful with money, for example, they're going to end up in debt and homeless, or because they don't eat dinner one night, we assume that they will become anorexic. And while it's true that it is important as parents to watch for red flags, especially with repeated or persistent behaviors, 
It's also true that kids are definitely going to make mistakes. Kids just are going to make some poor decisions and behave in risk-prone ways sometimes. That's the way their brains are wired. However, we don't want to, as parents, go down this rabbit hole of worry, judgment, projection. That leaves us in a tangle of anxiety, frustration, and anger. It's completely normal and natural to feel those things when our kids mess up, especially when their choices have concerning consequences. However, even if there are problematic ramifications from our kids' choices, this pattern of assuming the worst of our kids does not serve us. I don't know many parents who do their best parenting from the place of anxiety, frustration, or anger. I think most of us do our worst parenting from those emotions. I definitely see this in myself and in my clients. One of my clients found that her son was looking at porn. Her immediate action was of shock and concern and anxiety. Her mind wanted to run away with worry that he had become a porn addict or that he would in the future be unfaithful to his wife. And these were totally normal reactions. But when she stepped back, she realized that actually her son was a fantastic kid, but he had a teen brain. She knew that really he was capable of so much. And she decided rather than being angry and alarmist, she could listen and love him and ask him how he felt about this. They were able to discuss future steps rather than engaging in a power battle or leaving feeling angry at each other. Even when our kids don't deserve our faith in who they'll become, we respond better when we assume the best outcome. When teens mess up, sometimes they lose trust in themselves. Remember the slow reaction time between the slower thinking prefrontal cortex and the faster lower brain? By the time we hear about our kids' mistakes, they have sometimes come to their own conclusions and realizations about their behavior. Often they experience regret or disappointment. When we express frustration and anger on top of that, it simply serves to reinforce their own negative feelings and perceptions about themselves. This lack of confidence does not help them make better choices. It actually feeds poor decisions. In contrast, when we express confidence in our teens and who that we know they really are, they can then rely on our confidence, even if their own is a bit shaky. Let me be clear. Believing in our teens does not mean letting them do whatever they want. It simply means that we see their choices, good and bad, in context with who we know they're capable of becoming, rather than using their choices as an opportunity to project the worst possible outcome. Sometimes trusting our teens means letting things go. Sometimes trusting our teens means having rules and limits and enforcing them. Let me share a story about one time my dad expressed confidence in me as a teen. He trusted me when I probably didn't deserve it. And let me share how it impacted me. To be honest, I was a pretty good teen. I had Christian values and I tried to work hard in school, but I also had a teen brain. And one day near the end of my senior year, I was with some friends before school and they suggested that we ditch the day of school and go boating at a local lake. It sounded really fun. And my dopamine system and slow pathway to my prefrontal cortex took over. I ditched school and we had a wonderful day on the lake. I returned home just in time to pick up the phone for the automated attendance call. And I thought I was safe, but thanks to my slow neural pathways to my prefrontal cortex, I had completely forgotten about a choir concert that day. I had a part that the whole choir was depending on. After the choir concert where I did not show up, the choir director called to make sure I was okay. 
only to find that my parents had no idea that I was gone from school. Whoops. My dad asked if he could talk to me later that evening. He came into my room and sat on my bed. He explained what had happened with the call and asked me about the day. I was sweating. I knew that I had messed up and I was so embarrassed. I explained to my dad that I had taken a mental health day and I also apologized. Quite frankly, I expected my dad to be really upset and he definitely was not pleased and I knew it. It was my parents' expectation that I go to school every day and follow through on my commitments and I had not met that expectation. But what he said next surprised me. He said, well, I guess everyone needs a mental health day once in a while. What? I thought he was going to say that I was in huge trouble. Instead, he just said, I know you're responsible. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again. I was shocked. I actually felt so much more motivated to keep his trust than I would have if he had punished me, even though I probably deserved a punishment. My dad demonstrated to me that he believed I was capable of making better choices. He looked at my choices in the context of who I was, and I rose to the occasion. Now, obviously, this may not be the correct response or the best response in all situations or for all teens, but for me at this time, in this situation, it was. Sometimes we demonstrate our confidence and trust in teens by still enforcing consequences and trusting that our teens can handle it. For example, One teen wanted to go to a beach house with her boyfriend for the weekend. In telling her mother, she purposely left out some details, but her mom didn't ask many questions and just agreed that she could go. At the last minute, the teen got nervous and asked a friend to come with her so she wouldn't be alone with her boyfriend. But the friend's mom said she loved her too much to let her go to an unsupervised beach house. The friend was disappointed. But when the friend shared it with the other teen, The other teen said she secretly envied that her mom cared enough about her not to let her go. It may sound a bit counterintuitive, but sometimes setting limits can show that we value and trust our teens to turn out amazing. Believing in our kids has more to do with our mindset than with a particular parenting approach. One way to trust our teen's potential is to remind ourselves of their good qualities and their effort. For example, if a teen comes home and has vaped with their friends, Rather than assume that they are on track to be a drug addict, we can take a step back and remember who we know them to be, both good and bad. We can remember their honesty, their kindness, the pressure they must be under at school and socially, maybe their hard work and violin. When we see these kids in context, it can help us remember that everything is not lost and that our kids are more than just this mistake. It can help us have more compassion for our kids. Trusting our teen's potential is not the same as trying to force our kids to do or become what we want. If a teen is struggling with grades, coming down hard on them and threatening to ground them because we want them to get better grades is not the same as seeing their potential. Choosing to see a teen through their potential might look something more like assuming that they would get good grades if they could. With that as a baseline, it allows for curiosity. Perhaps a parent might ask questions like, hey, let's talk about your report card. What are you thinking and feeling about this? Tell me what school is like for you these days. What could I do to support you better? Do you hear the difference? One is a top-down demand and threat. It has an underlying feeling of not trusting our teen's potential. The other assumes that the child is capable of so much more. 
And with that baseline, we're able to better approach a difficult situation. It's bottom-up encouragement. So far, we've talked about why we may not want to trust our teens. We don't want to trust them in a developmental sense, meaning their brains aren't wired for always making wise decisions. So we want to be the backup brakes whenever is necessary. We also talked about the importance of having an underlying trust in who they're going to become. That underlying trust is not conditional. It's always unconditional, regardless of the type of mistakes they may make. But there is also a conditional type of trust that's important to extend to our teens. This is often the type of trust teens want us to give them. It is what they mean when they say, why don't you trust me to go to that party where there's alcohol? Or why don't you trust me to be alone in my room with my boyfriend? Or why do you always have to check my phone? Don't you trust me? Conditional trust is something that's earned. It means that we as parents have observed the teen's ability to respond in a way that's responsible or healthy in the past. Some teens are just better at navigating their adolescent brains than others. And teens do grow out of their developmentally risk-seeking brain wiring. So it's important not to assume that once a teen makes one dumb choice, they will always make another one. In other words, we can picture our trust for our kids a bit like a bathtub. The level of water represents the amount of trust we have in our child. We know in the end it will be full because they will become an amazing adult. And even if they don't, assuming that they will become an amazing adult helps us parent better while our kids are at home. What child thrives in a home where their parents don't think they'll grow up to be amazing? But now we expect, as they're in adolescence, that the levels will fluctuate a bit. When a child makes a poor choice, it's sort of like they open the drain and some of the water drains away. The level of the bathtub drops. When a child makes a responsible choice, it's like turning on the faucet to put more trust in. Then when it comes time to make a decision, like, should my child have a cell phone? Should my child go to this party? Is my teen telling the truth? Then we can go back to the bathtub. How full is it? If it's full, We can feel confident giving the teen more leeway. If it's not, we might need to express our concern that we love them. We know that they're amazing and they'll turn out to be amazing, but we don't really feel comfortable because of past choices. For example, if a teen wants to go out with friends, we can think about the bathtub. Have they made responsible choices when they were out with friends before? Have they come back by curfew in the past? If so, we'll probably feel comfortable trusting them and encouraging them to enjoy spending time with friends. If not, We might need to connect the dots for our teen, explaining that since they haven't been back by curfew the last few nights, we don't feel comfortable allowing them to go, or at least allowing them to stay out until curfew time, that we'll need them back earlier. However, when we express concern, we can also express the flexible nature of our trust. We can explain that trust can always be refilled as they do things to show us that they are worthy of that trust. We can say, if you make it back by 10 p.m. tonight, I'll feel more comfortable to have you stay out until midnight next time. This helps our kids see that we don't think they are bad or hopeless. We just didn't like or approve of an action that they did in the past. We also want to show them that we think that they can change or they can do better. Even when we don't say yes to something our teen wants, this approach helps our kids understand our decision. It helps them feel there's hope of improving trust in the future, and it helps them know how to do it. We can start out assuming our kids' bathtubs are full. 
with the exception of the developmental things we know might be too much for any teen. But as the child drains it, we can respond accordingly. And likewise, as they refill it, we can restore the trust. So let's review the answer to the question, should you trust your teen? First, no. We know that developmentally, our teens don't have reliable software in their brains during adolescence. So we don't want to put them in situations that will be tempting beyond their ability to respond in a safe or useful way. And yes, it's important to trust our teens' potential and who they will become. They need and want our trust in their potential and ultimate outcome that they will become a wonderful adult. Finally, the concept of the bathtub can help us navigate day-to-day issues in approaching things that our kids want our trust for. It also allows us, as they're developmentally ready, to allow them the leeway and ability to explore new things. So let's go to our expat exit strategy. The next time your teen asks you to trust them, stop and evaluate. Is this situation something that is too much for a teen brain? Is it likely to overwhelm them? If so, you might consider setting some limits. Next, you might consider reframing your son or daughter in terms of their ultimate potential. How might you express your confidence and faith in them regardless of what they do? And finally, evaluate the level of water in your teen's trust bathtub. How has your teen responded to similar situations in the past? Have they recently been in a similar situation? Have they added to the trust level in other ways? When the stakes are low, opting on the side of trust shows confidence in your kids. When the stakes are high, you may want to err on the side of more boundaries. Parenting teens requires a totally different approach than parenting younger kids. In addition to different practical strategies, getting your mindset in a healthy place with your teen can sometimes be more challenging than it is with younger kids. If you'd like help with your teen, sign up for a free 30-minute mini-session. Sometimes people worry because they've never done coaching. They don't know what it's like. It's actually a lot of fun. It's like hiring a personal trainer for your brain. Just like a personal trainer would take care of planning your routine and helping to encourage you. As a coach, I handle things. So all you need to do is show up and share the issue. I'll guide you through the rest. I've got you. The link to sign up for a free 30 minute mini session is in the show notes. You can also find the link on my website and either way, Remember to sign up for the one minute wisdom, my free weekly resource for moms. I'll talk to you next week. If you like what you're learning on this podcast, please share this episode with a friend. I wish that I had had these tools a lot earlier in my life, and I'd love to pass them along to more people who can benefit. I also appreciate when you leave reviews for the podcast. It helps me know my listeners better and understand what you find useful. It also helps the podcast grow. You can find more free resources to improve your relationships and your emotional health on my website at theexpatmom.com and on my Instagram page at theexpatmomcoach.